GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Thanks for tuning in to the Gibraltar Today podcast. Are you a blood donor? The Health Authority is running an ongoing campaign and our reporter Claire Hernandez covered a recent reception to thank those who donate. Gibraltarian boxer Tyron Buttigieg is gearing up to his fourth professional fight. We'll hear from him and sports reporter Davey Wilson. It's Heart Health Month. The Cardiac Association, Suyen Catania, Miguel Segovia and Chantal Ignacio tell us how to look after our hearts. But first, we speak to Minister for Trade and Industry, Nigel Feetham. Now Gibraltar has been removed from the Financial Action Task Force's grey list. Well, I think, uh, Kelly, the first thing to say is that it's, it's a huge achievement for Gibraltar. When I say for Gibraltar, I think it's something that everyone should celebrate. Um, it's something that Gibraltar has been working for, for working towards now for the last 18 months. I mean, we, we went onto that so-called grey list 18 months ago. Everyone in Gibraltar has been working extremely hard to get us off, and by that I mean all the law enforcement agencies in Gibraltar, the regulatory bodies, customs, police, everyone. Uh, when I took office uh, uh, on the 13th of October, after the election, I made it a point of calling everyone to my office. We've been meeting regularly with a view to getting Gibraltar off the list at the first available opportunity. That first available opportunity was last Friday. So the mood seems to be fairly celebratory. You said uh, this is something that everyone should be celebrating, a huge achievement you've described it as. But aren't we just back to where we were in June 2022? Well, of course, of course we are, Kelly. But the reality is that nobody wants to be on a list of any sort. And because we went on the grey list, and let me say... Kelly, that my own personal view is that the process itself is highly subjective. And we mustn't lose sight of the fact, Kelly, that we went on the grey list because we had two action points. It was the lowest number of action points of any jurisdiction but still, going on the list. But still two action points, well, too well, many. Well, the, well, I tell you what, I tell you what, the reality is, Kelly, that other jurisdictions have a greater number of action points and weren't in the list. So therefore, the point that I would make, Kelly, is that we are where we are. We would rather not look back, but the reality of the situation is that, in my view, we shouldn't have been in the list on the first place. But we've worked very Why hard. Why was Gibraltar on hard. the list if other countries have uh, more action points than we did? Well, because the, the process itself is highly subjective, Kelly. And let me, let me, let me draw attention to one thing, uh, uh, and it's this. When um, we had, we had the, the FATF meetings last week, and it was a week of, of events and, and, and meetings. I mean, it, I mean the, the meetings themselves are, are confidential. But the decision, the decision to take Gibraltar off the list took place on the Friday. And, and I've been hopeful and I've also been confident that we would come off the list given the amount of work that we had done prior to Friday when when uh, when uh, uh, when the, the decision as to whether or not we would stay on the list came up for uh, review. Uh, the reality is that all decisions by the FATF are done by consensus, Kelly. In other words, uh, when I sat there uh, and the president of the FATF put it to the plenary, which comprises 39 member states, whether or not Gibraltar should come off the grey list, given the recommendation of the underlying working group that had come to Gibraltar in October for the on-site inspection. All it would have required is for two objections and we would have actually stayed on the list. Uh, Let me say this as well. Russia, there's been calls for Russia to be put on the blacklist. I think it is objectively 
objectively. Uh, there is no uh, objective argument for Russia not to put on the on, be put on the blacklist, let alone the grey list. But for political reasons, unfortunately, Kelly, the decision as to whether or not Russia should be put on the blacklist, which is more than objectively justified, keeps being deferred by the FATF. What would you say is the reputational damage of having been greylisted for this uh, year and a half, these 18 months? Well, let me, let me say that nobody, as I've said, nobody wants to be on a grey list, but I, prior to taking office, prior to the general election, I was... The uh, I was the head of the largest law practice in financial services in Gibraltar. And let me say that we didn't see that there was any impact, any significant impact, even a marginal impact on our financial services business in Gibraltar. And therefore, whilst in other cases, in other jurisdictions, being on the grey list means that they see a deterioration of economic growth, we didn't see that in Gibraltar. And I think it's testimony, testimony to the fact that we explained very clearly to all stakeholders that the reason why we were on the grey list was because of two action points. And you did mention before, you did ask the question, Kelly, well, we were on the grey list. Well, let me say that one of the action points for which we were on the grey list is allegedly for our regulatory bodies in the co- uh, not uh, levying sufficient number of fines in Gibraltar. Let me also say, actually, that the gaming regulator issued record fines before we got on the grey list. So, therefore, the point being that we thought that we had done enough not to be on the grey list. The other action point for which we got on the grey list was because the view was expressed that we were there weren't enough confiscation orders by the courts. Let me say, Kelly, that the reason why there weren't enough confiscation orders being issued by the courts was because the preceding period was the COVID period. And therefore, Gibraltar was in lockdown. And therefore, you couldn't prosecute. There were a number... But so of, were many there other were, countries there were, around the world. It was number, a worldwide pandemic, were, no, which would were, have affected other countries. Number, there were a number of proceedings which were in process. Uh, and therefore, we could demonstrate that those proceedings were in, in process. But given that they had not been taken to the final stages of the process, the view that was taken was that we hadn't satisfied that action point. Of course, there were other mem- other states that were in the same position, but they didn't go in the grey list. We did. That's the point. Your argument is an argument in support of the fact that if other jurisdictions were also in the same situation, perhaps Gibraltar should have been given the degree of leniency that we had asked for. Not an argument, by the way, just pointing out that the pandemic affected other countries. Um, Now, has the government calculated what the financial cost may have been during this time of being grey-listed? I don't believe the financial cost is significant. In fact, I would suggest that the financial cost is negligible. And the reason why I would suggest that is because I headed the largest financial services practice in Gibraltar. We didn't see our revenues and indeed our financial services activities, the activities for which we were involved professionally, we didn't see that as being uh, as, as being in decline uh, over the period in which we were on the grey list. Uh, uh, and I think that was also the experience of other jurisdictions, but I can tell you categorically that that was certainly the experience in Gibraltar.
Now that Gibraltar has been de- delisted, what work will go into planning for the next evaluation, which I believe is in three years, uh, to ensure we remain fully in line with the FATF standards? Well, the, as you've rightly pointed out, Kelly, the uh, next evaluation process in three years' time, I am very pleased to confirm that the work has already started. In other words, we started the work on the next evaluation even before we got on the grey list. The government attaches a great deal of importance to this process, and I think we've demonstrated our commitment. And let me say, finally, before we go out of air, uh, Kelly, that I would like, again, to thank all stakeholders on Gibraltar, everybody that was involved, and it's not just the law enforcement and regulatory bodies in Gibraltar, the prosecution authorities, it's everyone that participated, including the private sector. We couldn't have done this without their support. Together, we achieved the result that we Gibraltar so badly needed. You did say you'd offer your resignation if Gibraltar wasn't delisted, so I imagine, Minister, that you're feeling quite relieved. Well, I am feeling quite relieved, uh, and I would have offered my resignation, uh, and I did have my letter of resignation in my back pocket when I went to Paris. In my speech to the FATF plenary, I did point out that I had made this pledge to the people of Gibraltar uh, and that I thought we had done enough to come off the grey list, but in the event that the outcome went against Gibraltar, I will be offering my resignation. The president was very kind, and when, when the announcement was made, and it was, it, was, it was made in the context of the recommendation being put by the working group, there was a round of applause, and the president came to me, shook my hand, and said, I would like to congratulate you, Minister, uh, and I'm sure you will continue your work as Minister now without the need to uh, having to resign. And I, was, I thought it was a very nice gesture on his part. And finally, Minister Feetum, it's a subject that's been uh, making headlines in recent weeks. On a separate note now, uh, just wondered what you thought of the Principal Auditor's Report and what it tells us about value for money in the public service as Minister for Trade and Industry. Well, I can tell you that there is a motion in Parliament today, so watch this space and I'm sure you'll be listening very keenly to the debate on both views expressed on both sides of the House. The Health Authority is running an ongoing campaign to bring in new blood donors and the Mayor, Garmen Gomez, hosted a reception in honour of those who are already donating their blood. Our reporter Claire Nandes covered the event and joins me now. Welcome, Claire. Thank you, Claire. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. (laughs) So blood donation, an important topic, one that can literally save lives. And that was a main theme of this reception that you attended. Exactly. It's a really interesting thing because if, like me, you've never been in the situation where you've needed a blood donor, you might not think about it so much. But we do have... um, Well, we could see, we will see this evening on the news, you'll see there was a great reception to celebrate the blood donors organised by the mayor, as you said, Carmen Gomez, very much um, of the point of view of we need to be grateful for people who do things in our community. Um, And this was one part of the community that she wanted to thank because they give not only of their time, but literally of their blood. So it's a very, very big deal, I think. I think you've got something that Carmen said. There are hundreds in Gibraltar, close to over 1,000, uh, who give blood, but who haven't been here today. But we do need more. And I really hope that this uh, tonight it will trigger something in your mind and you'll say there are people out there who might be involved in an accident suddenly and their life depends on it and I hope you will come forward. It's just a, a matter of, of, of an hour maybe or even less and give of your blood, please. She's so good. I mean, in her role as the mayor, obviously, as I said earlier, she likes to give thanks to people. She was very much promoting blood donation as something that's very important to the community. And she actually, she said, I can't do it because of my age. And, you know, 
it's obviously something that you've got to um, bear in mind. You've got to bear in mind your your physical abilities, what state of health you're in and all that. They do have, they do suggest that if you do want to register as a blood donor, there are various different ways of getting in touch, but obviously go through your GP in the first instance if you might have a medical condition. Um, very much needed, as the mayor said, not only for accidents, but for treating any little thing. It's something that we're so not aware of. And that was something that um, that the I'll say it in a minute, that GHA Director General Kevin McGee said he was talking about how he wanted it to be an ongoing campaign because it was so needed for the GHA. Well, blood donation the world over is, is a crucial, crucial area. And if you think of something like uh, the work that we do in the Gibraltar Health Authority, so many of our services require blood and blood donation. So it's vital that we get as many people as possible coming forward to give blood we will do everything possible to publicise blood donation because if you look at how we're looking to develop services, and this is a really good news story, we're looking to develop services in local services in Gibraltar, but those local services will require blood and blood donors to come forward. And so we can develop the services, but without the likes of the blood donation, those services won't be successful. GHA Director General Kevin McGee there speaking at an event hosted by the Mayor, Garmin Gomez, very much celebrating and thanking those who donate their blood. And I think it's safe to say that uh, the Gibraltarian community is so generous. We see it year upon year with all the fundraisers we host, with the Open Day. It's a perfect example. People are very willing to give up their, their time and their, their energy and their money. In this case, uh, what the GHA is asking for is their blood, which perhaps people might feel a bit more squeamish about, do you think, Claire? I think that historically as a community we we've all felt a bit squeamish about it and we've all wondered well how am I going to give them a, a pint or however much of my blood if I need it for my body but obviously these are all these things are done safely as the director general said there it's safe it's quick it's something that's not going to impact your health at all as long as you're a healthy person and that's why you need to go through the right channels and that's why they're calling out not only for accidents but for operations there's so many instances within the health service where they need blood well, thank you very much for that, Claire. Actually, the coincidentally, the Director General of the Health Authority, Kevin McGee, will be in the studio with us on Wednesday for his first in-depth interview since starting in that position. So I'm sure he'll offer some more uh, medical advice on that and information for potential blood donors then. Great. And uh, you will be carrying out a report uh, this evening. I believe There's you also report. had some, some numbers for those who are interested. Absolutely. Some details. They're also in the report this evening and we can put them on our website. There's an email. It's bloodonations at gha.gov. GI, or you can call the main hospital number 200 72266 extension 2252. You need to speak to a senior donor carer and they'll put you in they'll point you in the right direction. Gibraltarian boxer Tyron Buttigy is gearing up for his fourth professional fight, this time against Jan Garrell, who's from the Czech Republic. And the event at the Casino Admiral in San Roque is less than two weeks away. Tyron and also our sports reporter, Davy Wilson, join me now. So welcome to the studio. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for having me this afternoon. Good afternoon, Kelly. So Tyron, this is your fourth professional fight. You're still unbeaten. Is the pressure now on? Uh, yes, yeah, my fourth professional fight. I'm beaten. Um, I'm hoping to continue on the same path. Um, no, I don't feel pressure, to be honest. Um, Feeling confident. Yeah, I feel confident. Not not uh, overly confident, <laughs> but yeah, I do feel confident because um, just simply because of how hard I train and and that's that's basically it and makes me believe in that that I can do it. 
Do you feel like your wins so far, the last three, have they been easy for you? Do you feel like perhaps this winning streak is because you need a more challenging competitor? Uh... Possibly, yeah. Usually, when you start as a professional, your first couple of bouts are t- tend to be like easier opponents. Although my last opponent wasn't that easy. Um, this time round, I'm boxing against someone who's got a positive record, meaning that he's got more wins than losses. So it's the first time. It's something that we uh, something that we got to tick to be able to to keep on moving forward and to reach our goals. So yeah, I'm expecting a more of a t- tougher challenge this time round. I've seen some fights of my opponent in YouTube, etc. And uh, he, he he likes to make it ugly and he, he comes forward. He's not like a... He doesn't wait back. Um, he doesn't hold for, back. He doesn't hold back waiting for me mm-hmm. to, to, to commit. He, so I'm expecting him to come looking for me. How would that compare to your previous competitor? I guess um, it's going to be more of a reactive thing and this time round I need to be like uh, the reactor wait for him to to commence and I need to like counter him meanwhile on the other time round I would be the one looking for him mm-hmm. so yeah so in the lead up to a fight like this you're really studying your opponent no like in terms of that kind of preparation when you're kind of researching who you're up against what does that look like yeah, well in terms of my physical preparations it doesn't doesn't change that much because you Basically, you always need to prepare yourself 100% for, for like the worst possible scenario. In terms of strategically, yeah, it changes because you practice different stuff in sparring, on the bag, on the, on the pad work. So, so that's basically where the changes come into play, when, in the strategy and the game plan on, on the night. Yeah, he's going to have to, when we look at his last couple of fights for Tyron, he's going to have to protect himself. Uh, as he comes forward because he's a brawler he wants to fight this guy and then as Taron said probably use his, his excellent speed and his work to go and counter and, and, and keep the guy at bay and we were speaking off camera this is a six round fight you know it's his third six round fight so we would love to hope because we love Tyrone and we're fans of his that come that third or fourth round you know he's almost boxed himself out and, and Tyrone's then speed and skill and and you know, f- far better ability will will come into play, but the first couple of rounds are going to be tough. So anyone who's watching this through Tyrone's stream, you're going to see a fight. You know, first two rounds, f- maybe three rounds, depending on how his energy goes. You're going to see Ty in a battle. Yeah, well, um, like you said, things might get ugly. <laughs> so that yeah. surely, as confident as you may feel, surely you must have nerves as well. Yeah, the nerves are always there. Not nervous just yet, but I start kicking in on the day before, probably the day of the weighing. One thing I wanted to mention is the, the my opponent's got seven professional fights. He's won four, lost three, but he's never ever, as a professional, passed the third round. He's never reached the points. He's either won by stoppage or lost by stoppage, and and only only in his his, his last fight he he reached the third round for the first time. So I think it's, it's a positive thing to to look at and try and take him into the later rounds, and I'm hoping he's gonna be quite tired and fatigued and maybe I can take control of the fight then I think boxers and Tyrone I'm sure he won't mind me saying it because he won't say it but boxers are they're a little bit traditionalist they don't want to look too far forward mm-hmm. So, but the good thing about this if Tyrone gets a positive result from this he'll probably move on to an 8 round fight uh, and with the chances of very quickly maybe looking at some sort of regional Andalusian title no it, it goes further it, it goes, goes further goes it could further. be for example um International Boxing Organization, Ibero-American Champion, for, yeah. for example, which yeah. basically is the Peninsula, Peninsula Ibérica and everything that used to fall under the Spanish and Portuguese Empire. 
and that that's that's, that's like a, a surreal, it's a surreal level to come you know that's a, that's a curve that's that's going like that at the moment so hopefully we stay on that same yeah trajectory. hopefully hopefully i do the job on the ninth and then we'll go on an eight round and we can see after that. But Would you not hope that you are going to do the job on yeah, the 90? I, I, I never like to be, <laughs> I never like to say or predict the future. You know, if I ever yeah. need to lose, I'll lose with my head uh, held up, up, up high. So, because I don't like to say I'm going to win or, you know, I just train as hard as I possible, possibly can and on the night I'll do my best. Yeah, we know you do, mate. We're all behind you. And like you said, Davy, and, and you said, Tyron, you don't want to look too far ahead and you don't want to get in your nerves beforehand because as much as boxing is a physical sport, it is also very much a, a mind sport as well. Yes, and so getting in the right headspace, uh, what do you do to get yourself up to that in, in preparation for a big fight like this? You know, I just try to, I just try to focus on what I'm going to do in the night. I try to forget everyone who, everyone around me um, who's telling me what to do, not what to do, all the expectations. Like I said, I've got a job to do on the night. I forget the rest of the world. Go in there and do what I do best. That's it. When do your gloves arrive? You've always got a nice new set of gloves. Uh, I'll be using the same ones as, as, <laughs> I, as I used the last time round. Because uh, they gave a family member from the UK who gave them to me, yeah. and he told me, <laughs> he told me I want them back signed, and I <laughs> and I said and I said I'll try to put a, a knockout on the name before. Brilliant. Brilliant. So I'm gonna use them again and see if I'm lucky. <laughs> Is that like a superstitious thing then, using the same gloves again? Not really, not really. I'm just gonna try and actually do what I what I told you. <laughs> Um, so you, you mentioned some of the, the physical training and preparations and lead up. I saw online that you've been doing some hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yes, I have. Yeah. So how does that work and how does that help with the preparation? Well, um, it, it really does help as oxygen. You get into a, like an oxygen chamber for half an hour sessions, hour sessions when you're breathing high concentrates of, of oxygen. And it uh, definitely helps your body recover from fatigue and your muscles heal. And, and to be honest, I've, I've felt... Uh, that has been doing me useful after some like double sessions daily. I've been feeling tired. I've got in there and I've felt much better. Not, not only that, I've been doing the um, cryotherapy, which is like the getting into like a, like a fridge. Oh, wow. Which is okay. Minus 87 degrees Celsius oh for three minutes. How does that compare? Because I know a lot of athletes do ice baths. Um, similar, so similar, similar sort theory, of benefits. Yeah. 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 And how, do, how long do those three minutes feel? They feel longer than, than, than around. I'm sure. They feel longer than around. <laughs> More like three hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, big fight night for you. 9th of March. You are, of course, the only uh, professional Gibraltarian, but there are a couple of other amateur names yeah, on yes, the... Yeah. So, so talk us through those, Davey. Yeah, the Monte Grifos, both of them are fighting again. Uh, and you know what? They've, they've been phenomenal um, as part of the undercard for, for yep. Ty. Um, it's really good to see... It's really good to see how boxing, possibly in the last 18 months in Gibraltar, across the board, we have a new club ringside. We've got uh, Evan and Chris, Chris, uh, you know, flying the flag uh, continually. Um, boxing's in a really good place at Gibraltar at the moment. So hopefully we have a... How many? Um, There'll be six uh, Gibraltarians totally in the card. Uh, uh, two from it's ringside. Two from ringside, two from Wellington Boxing Club and two from Don Principe, which is myself and Wayne Freeth. It would be absolutely phenomenal. And and this is Wayne's third? Wayne's uh, fourth fight. Fourth fight. Uh, so this will be a a great card for anyone who can get it and streamed online if you don't have tickets. Uh, and my, my my fight will be live on my Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, the flying flag and uh, hopefully it continues.
Yeah, 9th of March. Uh, last time I know the tickets sold out, last time you performed in San Roque, they, they sold out quite quickly. The, the, Do you know if there are still yeah, any available? Yeah, they were sold out again. Oh, right, okay. A few weeks yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that least, was quick. <laughs> at least 300 tickets have been sold in Egypt mm-hmm. out of uh, 350 capacity. Amazing. So you're going to have the, the community support there. Yeah. Well, yeah. all the best and you'll have to um, come back once you've won this next one and you're still unbeaten. Fingers Thank you crossed. Much. Looking forward to it. And, and, and I'm sorry, it pains me because we mentioned the two boys, but the two young boys from Ringside, this yeah. is their first fights, isn't it? Uh, well, I think they boxed in UK, in the UK a on few the, weeks back. Yeah, a few weeks back, Even but this is their first fight. Yeah, yeah. Kane Berida. But yeah, it's the it's a it's a first fight in this one of our shows. One of the shows. Yeah. So it'll be great. It'll be a great moment. Yeah, for yeah, it's going to be a good one. February is World Heart Month and the Cardiac Association has a few events lined up to mark the occasion. Joining me now from the charity is Suyanka Tanya, Majel Segovia and Chantal Ignacio. So thank you very much to the three of you for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, tell me, perhaps you can start, Suyen, uh, what are some of the main issues when it comes to heart health that people should be aware of? Um, well, one of the things I think that is usually the sort of the factor that warns you is that if you've got any chest pains or high blood pressure, things like this, that sometimes we brush aside is something to, to look at. And this is something that we're always doing every single time we come out, is creating awareness again to try and prevent those things. They say prevention is better than cure. So this is one of the reasons why we promote a healthy lifestyle. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing this walk tomorrow. So this is the Walk the Mile event that you guys, you always mark this Awareness Month every year. And I suppose a lot of the events that you have organised are all geared towards being physically fit and again, the blood pumping, which is a major contributor to a healthy heart. Yes, we've got Walk the Mile tomorrow, which is something that anybody can actually join because it's just about a very simple walk of an hour on flat surface, starting at Commonwealth Park tomorrow at six. And this eventually will afterwards follow with a candlelight ceremony, which is really, really beautiful, and we encourage people to come. And we also have a very good active Zumba on Wednesday, which Chantal can maybe add a bit more about. Yeah, on Wednesday, we're having a Karis Summit. We'll be holding um, now a traditional Zumba event for the Cardiac Association. Um, she, I think it's her third year running that she is doing this. And um, again, it's promoting healthy a healthy lifestyle, a lot of exercise. Um, it's it's at 7pm at the Muga, um, in case anybody wants to join. Um, everybody's welcome to come in and, and take part as well on there. Apart from physical exercise, what are some other steps that we can be taking on a day-to-day basis that would help? Really, um, it's listening to your own body. I think that's one of the main things as well that you, that everybody should do. Like, i me personally being a heart patient myself, it's like I always um, listened to my own body and I, I kept going looking for what was a cure of what I had um, because obviously sometimes doctors would just, can sometimes just brush things as anxiety, stress, you know, nowadays we all take a really stressful life and you can bring things um thinking it's stress and anxiety but really listen to what your what your body's telling you and always go with that instinct as well which is really good obviously can cure a lot of um, heart diseases as well when it comes to stress what are some of those symptoms that can be easily confused 
chest pain that's one of the the main the main issues a lot of tightness on your chest um even jaw pain i used to have like some jaw pain which they always say yes that could be stress and anxiety as well but at the end of the day it wasn't so um i think the one that really relates to stress and anxiety and that can be chest that can be a heart problem is mostly chest pains and um tightening of of the chest and the charity does a lot of work, uh, not just to, to fundraise, but to raise awareness like you're doing today. Also offering um, some really hands-on information like CPR training. So how has that been received by the community? I think that's gone down very well. And we are extremely happy that finally this is now going part into the school programmes. Um, you would have heard already on the news that we've, together with both the GHA St. John's and the Department of Education, we are doing... Um, defibrillators and placing them outside schools and this is going hand in hand with training of teachers to train the trainer which hopefully will then pass on down to children especially in the adult age with the aim that eventually we want to have a community in Gibraltar where everybody will be confident both in CPR and being able to use the AED in case of need. Thanks to donations, a charity, as you said, has been able to, to install defibrillators around different spots in the community. I always wonder, luckily I've never had the, the chance or the need to, to use one, but just how easy would it be to use in an, an emergency situation for someone who doesn't have any experience? I can understand you perfectly because before we actually got ourselves into this, I was very worried that I would be electrocuting somebody if I did use an AED. But after having seen it being used and going through the training, it's extremely easy. The AED will actually talk to you. The equipment is very easy. It basically tells you step by step. And I'm assured that should it not pick up a pulse, that's when it will actually then react. If there's any pulse in the body, the machine will not react. So what have you got to lose? If you've got somebody lying in front of you with no pulse, who's presumably already dead, the only thing you can do is give it every possible chance to survive and use the defibrillator. So ideally, everyone in Gibraltar should be trained in how to use one. Exactly. That's our idea. What we want to do is we actually want to bring our youth up, not having that fear of actually using a defibrillator. If they see any situation, anybody who they think could be having a heart attack, that's our that's our aim. We want them actually to grow up in school, just like we do maths, English, science, actually having this lesson as well. So if any time they're out, something happens, they will not even think twice and actually go get the defibrillator wherever it is. Or even if there isn't a defibrillator close by, that who they need to call, obviously what they have to do and removing that fear from a very, very young generation. Are more defibrillators needed? Or are you satisfied with the amount that there are around Gibraltar now? I think we're close to possibly getting to what really we should have. Um, but then we're not the experts. So we would rely very much on people in the health authority and St. John's to really guide us as they've been guiding us up to now. So this week you have the Tuesday Walk the Mile that's tomorrow, followed by the candlelit ceremony, which I imagine is quite an emotional uh, part of your celebrations this week. And that's from Commonwealth Park. And then you also have the Wednesday Zumba class, which is all about keeping the body moving, getting those endorphins pumping. And then you also have a, a bingo event on Thursday, which sounds like a fun way to finish the week. Yep, for all those who are not so physically active and, and cannot come and do the walk or, or the Zumba, we had the, the bingo on Thursday that's in Laguna. Um, 
unfortunately we are sold out now so so we can't take any but fortunately for for the charity for the charity um we can't take any more people on, on onto the bingo but um it's been very successful as well um we find that people do like to play bingo in Gibraltar. <laughs> Good fun. Yes. Uh, so what else would the charity like to achieve outside of February being a Heart Health Awareness Month, but just in general in 2024, where would you like to see things moving? Well, maybe not in 2024, but our aim is eventually to be able to have a place of our own where people will be able to come and do whatever they feel is going to help them, whether it's going to be a, just having a cup of coffee, sharing their fears with friends. We want to enlarge the rehabilitation centre at the moment in the GHA because it's getting too small and we've got lots of people on waiting list. So there are plans and at the same time we're always very, very much looking at what equipment is required in the hospital. But like we say, it's we're a small charity and we rely very much on donations and fundraising events. So it's difficult because, as you know, any piece of machinery costs a lot of money, even just our gym equipment. We're talking of 20000 pounds a piece so it's a lot of money so if anyone would like to either volunteer for the charity get involved this week or just donate uh what's the what's our first protocol to to reach you um i think a lot of people know who i am now so they can contact me directly or they can email us and we will definitely get back to them and the good or most beautiful part about the ceremony tomorrow which i really really want to mention is that for the first time we are actually inviting all charities to come dressed in whatever T-shirt or colour they want to wear. Like we always say, we all have a heart and the heart links us to every charity in Jib. So please, please come wearing whatever T-shirt you want to wear, walk it and stay then for the ceremony. That's It'll lovely. Be worth it. Bringing the whole community together. Exactly. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.